Sport. It's your passion. It's your obsession. You want informed opinion and 150 years of wisdom? Know it all with the Sporting Life podcast. Welcome to the latest episode of the Sporting Life Racing Podcast with me, Joe Townsend, our racing experts, Matt Brocklebank and Ben Coley. And joining us from Ireland, fresh from a visit to Gordon Elliott's Coluntra House Stables, is our racing correspondent, Ben Linfall. We'll, of course, be hearing what Scoop learned from his behind-the-scenes visit and how Gordon's feeling with Cheltenham closing in. We'll round up the major news to come out of this week's racing, which includes the Cheltenham Waits, the retirement of a two-time Grand National winning jockey, and the return of Richard Johnson just five weeks after breaking his arm. And, of course, we'll look ahead to this weekend for you with some great racing at Newbury and Doncaster with the Grimthorpe Chase. Before we start, a quick reminder, to keep hearing about new episodes, you'll need to resubscribe through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Search Sporting Life in your podcast app and click the subscribe button. Now, by the powers of technology, and it's not really that modern a technology it's just a just a telephone really we've got ben linfoot on the phone from ireland so welcome scoop hello team how's it how's it going yeah bluetooth headphones been driven around the back country roads of ireland by cranberry so apologies if i'm in and out of reception but i think we might just get away with this one and what can you see right now out the windows it sounds really exotic well, I'm, uh, I said I was on the back road. We've just taken a turn in and looked like to be uh, creeping onto the onto the motorway. So that is my current uh, situation. Didn't really sell that, chaps, did he? I was hoping for more of the countryside rather <laughs> yeah, than the road yeah, structure, I'll yeah. be honest with you, but never mind. Just went past yeah, a, a sign just, for Junction 32. I've just seen a, <laughs> a Texaco, um, but we don't need any fuel. So. We've, got, we've got those here, Scoop. We've, we've got, got those here. <laughs> Well, we're gonna. Matt is not impressed, by the way. He's sitting with a. He's starting to smirk a little, but he's not impressed. He was hoping for you to paint a bit more of a picture, so you're gonna have to do that now by telling us what you've seen, the reason why you're there, what have you seen at Gordon's yard? Sounds like a pub, but really, it's actually a, a <laughs> bit more than that. Well, it was a phenomenal morning, Joe. I mean, it was beautiful. Got a cloud in the sky, blue sky. Watching Gordon Elliott's string work at, at the Cheltenham Festival. And it was a real treat to be there. We saw um, Tiger Roll and Delta work do a piece of work together. Now, he says he doesn't normally work these two together. Uh, probably two big guns heading into the Gentleman Festival, but they did today, and both of them looked really, really well. So Tiger Roll firmly on track for um, a potential fifth Gentleman Festival win, and Delta work, of course, going for the Gold Cup. So really good to see those two big guns in action this morning. They could face each other, couldn't they, at, uh, at Aintree itself? Do you think Delta Work might uh, end up running the Grand National as well, Scoop? No, absolutely not, Matt. Well, <laughs> well he's entered. He's entered. <laughs> he'll, go, he'll go Gold Cup and then uh, punch us down, I would think. But uh, Gordon seems to be really enthused by his chance, just sort of saying how much he's learned from last season when he went to Cheltenham and he was a bit fresh because he hadn't run since the, since the festive period. This time, of course, he's gone on to the Irish Gold Cup, uh, the Dublin Racing Festival at Leopard Town, and uh, impressed there, really, with how he got the job done. He's been held up more these days, isn't he? He's coming fast and late, and he thinks those tactics are really going to help this horse at Cheltenham. And he just said he's, he's not a flashy horse. He's not a horse like Don Cossack, who absolutely knocks your eyes out in the morning. 
he's just a Taoist, a, a real grinder, and he thinks that's exactly what you need for a Cheltenham Gold Cup. So he's pretty excited about his chance. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that because really throughout his career, he's not a horse that he's really talked up, you know, like we saw with Don Castle through those early years. And there's plenty of horses as well that have come and gone, Gigginstown horses under Elliot's uh, guidance that he's kind of hoped might develop into Gold Cup horses. And yet really this one here has been a bit of a sleeper, hasn't he? Come through the handicap ranks and then obviously ran that big, big race in the RSA chase last year. They, they think that they can sort of turn the tables on, on Santini then. Was there any mention of the rivals at all or what they might consider as, as the horses to beat in this year's Cheltenham Gold Cup? No, I mean, you can ask those questions, but he very much just focuses on his own horse, doesn't he, John Elliott? And that's what he was doing with Delta Work. But you're absolutely right in what you say, that he's a little bit of a slow burner and come a little bit from left field because he's had so many of these young horses over the years, hasn't he, that have, you know, wrapped up uh, sequences in novice hurdles and everyone's saying they're the next big thing, you know, the likes of Don Cossack and No More Heroes and now Envoy Allen. Those are the sort of horses you associate with Gordon Elliott, but Delta Work here, he, uh, he won a Potemps final, didn't he, off a, a, for marking the 130s. You know, it's not a usual prep for a, for a Gold Cup runner, really, um, even though presenting Percy is a similar type of horse, of yeah. course. But yeah, Delta Work, he's, he's come through the ranks and a couple of grade ones under his belt this season. And, he, and he's very much the star player from the Gordon Elliott team in terms of uh, leading the pack. And it's such a big team. I mean, he took 45 last year for the festival, which was the biggest number he ever brought across. This year, he reckons 52 or 53. So an enormous amount of horses coming over from the Elliott yard. And I it was good to uh, chat to him about several of them this morning. I'm sure you've been hanging on every word scoop and there is obviously an absolute whole host of them that we could go into great detail on. A couple that I did want to pinpoint though, if you don't mind. Uh, hopefully you've seen these these two. One handicapper and one grade one novice. Fury Road was a horse that I thought still had a fair bit of upside, a lot of potential with this horse and a horse that uh, won a good trial earlier on in the season and then was beaten on ground that was probably a little bit lively for him, was it, at Leopardstown last time. He sounds like he's heading for the Albert Bartlett novices hurdle at Cheltenham. Loves a handicapper, Matt Brocklebank. He does. This one, this one isn't in that isn't in that realm. But we'll come to a handicapper after this one. If you've got a line on Fury Road first, Scoop. Yeah, Fury Road. We saw him stretch his leg this morning. He looked really well actually, and um, the, the ground was a bit lively for him at, at the Dublin Racing Festival. And you sort of sense that Don Elliott feels it in reverse that form with his latest exhibition on on much uh, softer softer ground. If we get those conditions on the Friday at Cheltenham but he uh, he's far from giving up on him I think he's a really interesting one and he's firmly on track for the Albert Bartlett yeah good stuff we we sat but down in we sat down in midweek didn't we Scoop and we discussed which horses you might be looking out for when it came to these Irish horses and which BHA marks they've been allotted and you straight away you said Tronador this is a, a a horse that not many people out there really coming to Cheltenham for the first time will have heard of, I suspect. He's a he's a four-year-old. You were hoping for a mark around the 130. What did he what did he get? 128, 129? 129. Oh, this happy? is the one. This is the one, lad. <laughs> I, yeah, really happy. Disclaimer, I have that this horse. So if you think I'm ramping him up, that's not the case. Yeah. But he, we saw him this morning... Gordon said, you sort of sense that he really likes him. He's had three runs of typical Gordon Elliott, Cheltenham handicap of prep. And the interesting thing is, he's going to stick a pair of blinkers on him in the said winter. Something that he did with Flax and Flair 
a few years ago who won at a big price. So that's an interesting angle, Tronador wearing headgear. He, he, I wouldn't say he looks tricky, but he he wasn't suited by a small field race last time. He ran in a five-runner race. And he just, he just looked the type to appreciate a bigger field and a stronger gallop. And with a pair of blinkers on as well, off a lowly mark, he's one I'm really excited about. Ben, we um we obviously have the form book to go on and we base everything around that, but you've had the chance this time to get right up close and personal to these horses. Was there one that stood out to you? I know we hear a lot about how Tiger Roll doesn't look like a horse who'd go and win a Grand National, let alone a couple of them, but was there a horse who really struck you in the way he looked and therefore maybe one we can keep an eye on with, uh, with more to come in mind? There was a couple, BC. Um, I mean, the one that looked the best, and it's a dead obvious one, I'm afraid, but Envy Allen looked an absolute picture. Um, just a gorgeous horse. Obviously, he's unbeaten. Seven from seven under rules. And he's going to be one of the, the hottest favourites at the Cheltenham Festival this year. I actually asked Gordon if he was his best chance at the Cheltenham Festival. And straight away, it was a firm no uh, from him. He thinks that's Tiger Roll. But Envy Allen, yeah, he looked great. And um, he's not absolutely certain to go for the Ballymore yet. He says he's going to leave it as late as possible. And if if it is testing ground on the Tuesday, we might well see him in the Skybet Supreme. But wherever he goes, he, he, he looks fabulous. And the other one, actually, that looked really good in his car, I mean, it was a beautiful sunny morning at Gordon Elliott's yard, and they all looked great. But Abacadabra as well, he's a lovely stamp of a horse. We haven't seen him since Christmas. Um, Gordon Elliott purposely kept him off the track. He said he's got enough runs into him. And uh, he won a grade one last time, when last seen in December, and he looks fabulous. He's He's fit and ready to go, Abacadabra, and he, he is going in the Supreme. So his novice hurdlers really stood out uh, from the rest. They look fantastic. Now, we're going to come on to the weights in a bit more detail later in the podcast, Scoop, but how was Gordon feeling about how his horse has gone? Overall, I think he was fairly happy. He pointed out one or two to me that he, he felt he was particularly happy with. Um, Elwood's an interesting one. He's got a mark of 139. And uh, he's got loads of options. He, st- he, he says he's still undecided where he's going to go. Ultima for me, still. Could he run in yeah, the Ultima? He thinks he's let in. Perhaps he's got. Let, he's, he's in all the handicap chases, isn't he? Another one that he mentioned was obviously Galvin. Um, go on, the Galvin. He's got one for two in the novice handicap chase. Very happy with that. He, he, he actually made a point of saying he was really happy with Tronador's Mac as well in the Fred Winter. And I asked him for his best handicap chance. Of the whole festival for just one word, and that word was Ravenhill. Goes for the Kim Yard. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. He's not been on many radars, has he, going into this as well? So, uh, is he JP McManus? Jamie Codd is he's, um, Jamie Coddy's booked to ride. Um, he's got a mark of 142. He was second in the Kerry National and has been off since November. And so I, I said to him immediately, does, Look, does he go well fresh? And he just said, Yeah, he goes really well fresh. So I think Ravenhill's one that he's particularly looking forward to. We've not said Sam Crow yet, Scoop. Um, he goes for the intermediate um, grade one, doesn't he? And, and what what hope of him bouncing back to his best? Because this time two years ago, obviously, he was the only horse anyone wants to talk about. Are you eating a bag of crisps there, by the way, Scoop? Was that What was that? No, I'm not eating, Joe. I got my Bluetooth headphones stuck in my um, Sporting Life jacket. So of course you did. Extra... Yeah, yeah, getting them out of the way. But Sam Crow, um, he definitely goes for the festival. That's the, that's the big news, really, because last week when the media uh, invaded the Coluntry Yard, he said he was 50-50, but now he's 100 not. 
um, because he goes for the mass chase. And yeah, really <laughs> happy with him. He says he's always a good worker. Um, so it's difficult for him to tell really until he gets to the track. But he hopes he bounces back. And he was such an exciting novice early, wasn't he? He's, he's got that ability. He's had a wind operation since we last saw him, sort of floundering a little bit behind Fahim in heavy ground at Limerick. So uh, perhaps a, a bit of drier ground if we get a dry Cheltenham and Samco turns up in the marsh, he could uh, he could bounce back to form. And he, again, he, he looked he looked great and he was another one who stretched his legs today. Now, of course, we'll have plenty more reaction to the visit to Gordon Elliott's yard on the Sporting Life website and across our social channels. And we're just quickly now going to assess the action that went ahead last weekend, as has been the case for the last few weeks now. Then a few races fell victim to the weather. But before we come on to the Cheltenham Weights, we'll start with Kempton, where there were a good few quality races that went ahead, Matt. There were indeed, yes, uh, Joe. It was, a, it was a decent day's racing. Um the rearranged Kingwell hurdle, probably not going to have a major impact on the Cheltenham Festival itself, but I thought, uh, obviously, the real standout star performance was solo in the uh, Adonis hurdle. And he, he he was probably the worst-case secret, really, because Paul Nichols and the team there at Dichita had been banging on about solo for a long, long time. He'd sort of gradually crept into around the sort of 12, 14 to 1 mark for the Triumph hurdle itself before even being set foot on a British race course. This was on the back of, course, of that really impressive winner, O'Toy, in November for previous connections. Now, on the back of that, um, the British assessor had given him a mark, no doubt been speaking to the, the boys over there in France, of 146. So suddenly a horse like this comes from France, and we've seen it with Paul Nichols before, where he targets the Fred Winter, the handicap for the juveniles at Cheltenham with this type of horse. Now, 146, it's quite clear that that BHA had been tipped the wink and, and obviously forced Nichols here to think this horse more of a triumph hurdle horse than a Fred Winter horse. Well, he came with a decent reputation, and he he blew that out of the water because he's gone up 11 pounds on the back of winning it so, so well at Kempton. He's now up to a mark of 157. Now that is, you know, it's not unheard of, but it's it's really right up there in terms of triumph hurdles um, of years gone by. I mean, we're talking, you know, it would have won what, you've been doing a bit of digging, BC, haven't you? What would have won probably the past five or six triumphs. I think he's the highest rated horse to come here and run in a triumph hurdle, assuming he does for at least a decade. I mean, our Connor was rated 161, but that was after he bolted up in the triumph hurdle. So he's only four pounds short of that level already. And a, a figure of 157 wins pretty much every triumph hurdle in the last 10 years. So, uh, yeah, to he say looked, he was impressive. He just looks ready-made as well, doesn't he? There was talk last year um, of Peak Dory in the same colours and obviously for Nichols as well, being of this kind of ilk where he he came over with a really big reputation, but Nichols pointed out this time around that he just hadn't acclimatised fully and it, it can happen, but they were pretty hopeful about Solo and he, he just looked, he looked very, very straightforward and when you... Factor that into this year's Triumph Hurdle where you've got Goshen, who's a bit of a live wire to say the least. You've got All Mankind, who is is a nut job. Um, Aspire Tower's probably the, the big danger for me. I still rate him. He, I know he looked like he was in trouble um, at the Dublin Racing Festival before crashing out, but he's just a sort of grinding horse. He's a very straightforward horse, Aspire Tower, and I was so taken with him when he won on uh, over Christmas Boxing Day, I think it was. The time before, and this he's got a big future, that horse. I, I, I do like him. But if Harry Comden can sort of just sit a little bit quieter on solo and stay behind this, what is, seems like being an absolutely furious pace in the Triumph Hurdle, 
then he looks very straightforward and could just bring him through to pick them up. Now, he's obviously... The, the market has reacted. He's right in now, isn't he, to 11-4, to 3-1 to favourite um, for the triumph hurdle. But I think, I think it's perfectly justified. And anyone looking at form and, and ratings for this race, he's got to go straight in favourite. And I think, personally, I think he could get a little bit shorter um, myself. I can see that. I mean, Scoop, you were, you were saying on Saturday we were working in the office together that one of the most striking things, and I know some people haven't been that impressed with the sectionals and that there are holes we could pick, but when Paul Nichols starts talking about comparisons afterwards and he mentions masterminded, that makes you sit up and take notice. Absolutely. That was the quote, wasn't it, um, that took everyone by surprise afterwards. That's the sort of esteem he's held in at Ditchie. And I think it was the late money as well because he was 9-4-5 to, to 2 in the morning and I think he's gone off a clear favourite at around 74 or something. So there was plenty of confidence behind Solo Chant and he obviously ran away with the Adonis uh, in, in scintillating style. And the big question mark for me is having put up such a good performance 20 days before his Cheltenham target, can he do it again in the white-hot battle of Cheltenham? And that's the, that's the sort of dilemma that punters uh, going into the race have got a way up and... Um, Matt's already alluded to the to the fascinating tactical battle in, in the contest as well, and it, it's all set up to be a real good race. Another good race on Saturday with the Skybet Dovecut Novices Hurdle, possibly lacking um, a real sort of standout superstar. Obviously, the major disappointment was Buzz, the 6-4 to four favourite for Nicky Henderson. He doesn't appear to have run his race, but um, Highway 102 was pretty impressive there for Chris Gordon and Tom Cannon just got a fairly easy lead in, in truth and, and, and made no mistake at all making all the running there and winning well from West Cork. Kid Commando ran quite a nice race I thought in third. He's kind of come through the, the bumper scene this season and has made a big impression at Plumptum and winning at odds on and, and not disgraced himself at all. Definitely a handicap uh, project going forward for anti Anthony Honeyball there. Um, but the winner, it seems like it was confirmed, I think, earlier this week that he now goes to um, Aintree because there was talk of no, the Imperial, no Imperial Cup. Cup. No, you're 10 to 1 for that still, third favourite. No, it sounds like um, Chris Gordon uh, confirmed that Aintree, the, the grade one, the top novices hurdle, will be the target for him. Uh, one or two of these might go for the Imperial Cup. I think... Scoop, you put up fair part Savola, didn't you, at the weekend? He ran a fairly disappointing sixth at 10 to 1, but he is still in the Imperial Cup. Do you see him turning out quickly there? Yeah, I mean, obviously, having backed him on Saturday, I was really disappointed. He was keen early on, never put in the race, held up by Chester Williams as, as the leader, sort of got an easy time of things on the front end. And on the face of it, it was a really disappointing performance. But I think if you look back to his first two runs, he remains a hurdler of real promise. And off a, a mark of 131, I still think he could be a factor in something like an Imperial Cup. Well, he, he's certainly in the race. We'll see if he goes there. Um, obviously, the Dove Cup was a qualifying run for him. It was his third run over hurdles. So he can go for all these handicaps now. And uh, although it was disappointing on the face of it, I wouldn't lose faith with, it, faith with him yet. So if Solo was the standout horse of the weekend, we talked about this in last week's podcast, that Frankie Dettori only turns up for what he considers to be big races. We were debating whether people are interested in the Winter Derby. Well, he turned up and he won it. Very easy in hindsight, isn't it, Joe? Simple <laughs> simple game, isn't it? The Tory rocks up on a 13-8 on a to eight shot for John Gosden on a Saturday at Lingfield and, and makes all... makes To be fair, makes a fool of some of the jockeys in the race. But, you know, you, you wouldn't want to hold that 
against the likes of Sylvester D'Souza was obviously riding the 8-13 to favourite Bangkok. Um, he was just a little bit keen and, and Dottori just... they He played a tune, didn't he? And, and they all just sort of um, fell into line and he, and he kicked away off the bend. You know, look, this horse was always held in really high regard, this uh, Dubai warrior, and he looks like a very useful animal indeed. He's only he's one run on turf, and he was pretty disappointing. But his his record elsewhere um, is is fairly uh, impressive. Now he's he's four from six lifetime career, and definitely on an upward trajectory. Uh, we should have seen it coming, Joe. We should have seen it coming. Fifty turns this year, Frankie. He's turned forty-nine since last we spoke about him. I think a lot of us are waiting for, you know, at some stage he's going to have to to hang up the saddle. But he's still at the very top of his game and top of the game. In fact, it was just a brilliant ride. I mean, look, I know we're not really here to talk about the Easter Classic, but these horses could meet again, Dubai Warrior and Bangkok. And I, I did kind of think at one hundred to thirty, Bangkok, who started odds on to beat uh, Dubai Warrior at the weekend, maybe a bit of an overreaction because things just didn't pan out for him he's quite a buzzy horse and the race just didn't go to to his liking and he was keen and Frankie rode them to sleep and I think if they met again and there was some pressure on at the front I don't think they'll let Dubai Warrior have such an easy time in the Easter Classic so I could see Bangkok giving him a race next time but this is all about Frankie really not necessarily the horse on this occasion and it was great to see him back it had been a couple of months since he was in action in the UK riding a double at Lingfield and yeah he's turned 49 but nothing's changed and just on that scoop then <laughs> 49 years old, Frankie Dettori. He doesn't look it, does he? How, how much longer can he be around for? I would love to be on his diet, Joe, yeah. He <laughs> looks amazing, doesn't he? I'm not sure you and would, actually. <laughs> I, I could live off olives and, and what have you. But, um, yeah, he, he he's just an evergreen jockey, isn't he? And shows no sign of, of slowing down. I mean, obviously, best jockey in the world, and he can pick where he rides and... He just turns up for the big show and, and gets the job done. And it's certainly helping him prolong his career probably into his 50s. And uh, you never know, we might see him riding against his son in a couple of years as well. So something to look out for there. Visit sportinglife.com and log in for free to become an insider. There you can unlock loads of exclusive features, including unlimited video replays, tips and previews, live score update notifications, betting offers and more. Now the big news of the week that we talked about last week that we'd be given a, a little bit of airing Cheltenham Waits and quite simply chaps who were the winners who were the losers and this was something I was chatting with Richard Mann about in the office yesterday that is it a fair assumption or is it unfair that the Irish seem to always come out a little bit better they don't see it that way, do they? I mean, <laughs> what's, the, what's the horse that won the Potemps off of Bundren? Presenting Percy, wasn't it, when they were moaning about his handicap mark and he came and won the Potemps and came back to win the RSA. Um, look, it's a very, very difficult job to collaborate. I mean, you can make a case for having a more universal system but uh, and, and taking away some of this controversy. But then at the same time, for people like us, it, it's one of the interesting signposts, one of the talking points on the way to the festival. Uh, there will have been a real buzz uh, at the Waits lunch. And, um, you know, it, it's fun for the guys who do this every day, and I'm very much not one of them. But to, to go and find those horses, to look at the marks, the horses you had on your shortlist, we already heard about the one there that the guys were talking about from Gordon's Yard. So, uh, fun and games, um, but all I'll say is back us on off a mark of 148 <laughs> for the Coral Cup. Yeah, well, it's interesting. It's important, I think, to stress that it's an objective thing. You know, like, we're not out to get... No one's out to get anyone. I don't think anyone should be feeling victimised here. You know, these horses are assessed by full-time professionals um, who watch racing day in, day out, and I don't think anyone really 
should be taking too um, hard a view against the, the, the handicappers over here and or in Ireland indeed. So I, I, what I would start with was a bit of a, a kind of a winning loser, if that works, but relegate the, um, the filly that's joined Col Murphy from Willie Mullins' yard. Um, she actually got bumped up a fair bit. So she went up... Um, five pounds from a revised Irish match. She, she ran a good fourth in the Punchestown qualifier for the Potemps final just the other week. Now she got moved from a mark of 130 to 132 in Ireland. And over here they've given a 137. So it looks like a harsh rise, five pound rise from the Irish mark to the BHA mark. But what a, one, a mark of 137 does is ensures that she gets a run because the, the big question mark after her qualifying in fourth at Punchestown was she's going to miss the cut here for the Potemps final. So they've bumped her up and she's now in. She's number 24 in a race in which only 24 can run. So she's absolutely guaranteed. And I think she's really, really interesting. The market's reacted. She's into 7-8 to 1. But um, she's a big player in that Potemps final. Look, she won the champion bumper a couple of years ago and... Just last year, her final run for Willie Mullins, she was four to one favourite for a Grade One novice hurdle at Leopardstown. So, loads to like about her. She's a she's a fraction moody, I'd I'd admit that. But I think the race, the way that this race is run, she kind of runs in snatches, and I could see her just really staying on, flashing home as she did in that Champion Bumper a couple of years ago, and uh, playing a major role in the. Uh, attempts final. Column of Fire was an interesting one as well. He actually got hit quite hard. It looks like he's gone up uh, seven pounds to a British mark of 143. He's one of Gordon's uh, scoop. Did he Did he mention Column of Fire? Because it sounded like he was one of the main Martin Pipe hopes a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, um, he did mention him this morning. We saw him um, out on the gallops as well. And the, he really liked him. Like He was saying he was so pleased with his run at the Dublin Racing Festival over three miles. He's definitely dropped in trip at Cheltenham. He's got a mark of one par three. Now, I immediately said to him, Martin Pike, because, well, I think his favourite are certainly up there. Mm. But straight away, he said, look, I've not decided yet. He could be Coral Cupbound. So I think he's still got options, Colin of Fire. So I'd just hold fire on Colin of Fire if you're thinking about a Martin Pike wager. Um, Michael Shindog's laughing at my terrible pun there <laughs> in the in the front <laughs> rightly so but yeah I think he's still got a couple of options although you do sense that um, that Martin Pike probably is his, his number one target but he's just keeping his options open on the horse Scoop um, the Potemps final is sort of a the handicapped fans' nightmare and dream at the same time. You know, working it out is is about so much more than the form book. But uh, it looks like Gordon's got the stranglehold on it again with uh, the storyteller who qualified as you you know in sixth place at Lepers Down the the textbook qualification. But he's also got last year's winner. So <clears throat> was was the vibe there that they they feel like they've got a strong hand because it certainly looked that way. And I think the storyteller who won the Kim Muir was it a couple of years ago. I mean, he he looks an obvious one. But it was the plate. Wasn't yeah. It? He, he yeah. Said, he said this morning that both horses have qualified in both go for the Potemps final. I think they're both single-figure prices and they're both previous Cheltenham Festival winners, as you, as you just said. So uh, that's not hiding anything from the handicapper here, are they? I think the storyteller's 149, side of Burley's 152. So they're going to be towards the top of the weights, if not top weights, in the in the Potemps final. But even having said that, with their festival form and the way that they, they've been wouldn't uh, rule out a bold run from, from both of them, really. 
Galvin was my real standout. I know this is becoming a bit of a Gordon Elliott loving, but he he was my absolute standout from yesterday. That mark of 142, I think he could be um, a grade one. You know, you look at these Cheltenham Festival handicaps and really you've got to work backwards and think, what are they going to be doing at Aintree and Punchestown? And really you need in these handicaps a horse that's going to be contesting grade ones at that uh, those later meetings because you just have to have that much in hand. I do think Galvin's the uh, real, real obvious one here for the... Um, the, the, the final race, I think it is on, on the first day now. It's called the Northern Trust Company, and obviously it's Handicap Chase. It's a race that um, lots and lots of horses have been sort of pointed at for a long, long time. But Galvin, he's actually been laid out, not seen him since finishing second to Salsaretta at Punchestown in November. Now she's up to 148. She's won a couple of times since, I think. What he would probably prefer is a little bit of drying ground, which it doesn't look like we'll get, but uh, he has won on soft. That was at air last um, last year in, in February. I do think he's pretty well in there. I genuinely thought, having run quite well last year in the Ballymore, he had a hurdles rate in there of 144. And when we look at the way that the BHA handicappers have been assessing these Irish horses, they've really, by and large, they've been ignoring a lot of their form in Ireland through the season and, and if they've run at Cheltenham last year they've kind of been assessing them around that so I thought there was a there was an outside chance that he might actually miss the cut being expunged from this race and be maybe 146 147 so 142 I think he does have a couple of pounds in hand uh, definitely definitely of interest in that race I would throw in um, away from Elliot's seriously strong handicap team I'd throw in Sempo as well again another bit of a market mover yesterday on the back of his mark again it's 142 and again he's a novice it's kind of the way that you go in these races you know you have to look for these um interesting novice hurdles i know bc's flagged up Bakassen in the coral cup and he's just getting a little bit longer in the tooth now i'd probably prefer to focus on a, a younger horse with a bit more potential and sempo's definitely got that i thought that second to cobbler's way over christmas was a, a really smart run that race was the race in which uh, i think it was the maiden that classical dream won last year and this year it looked like willie was going to win it again with the big getaway uh he came there looked like he was going to win and, and made a real mess of the final flight and it ended up going the way of cobbler's way with sempo and francin uh willie's other horse in the rich rishi silks running on from the back of the field and the fact that francin he's entered up in the mountain pipe in the coral cup as well he's got 142 and sempo beat him um on, only narrowly but sempo beat him so i think he's quite well in there in terms of that overall form and i also rate cobbler's way as being a genuine uh, albert bartlett horse so if i fancy him for the albert bartlett i've got to think sempo's Potentially well in here off a off, off one four two. Can I ask you about one, Matt? Sorry, Joe. Matt Brocklebank's so into his flow there. I don't think you heard the, the gone. couple of beeps that we lost. <laughs> um, ben Limfoot, but uh, we'll have him back in a few seconds. I know you've been waiting to try and dive in BC. Do you know, I was going to ask him about Shattered Love, who was uh, back to some some sort of form last time, and she's got five entries, and I just wanted to know whether he got a line, because she is in the plate off a mark of 151, and if she was back in the form that saw her win the JLT, she'd be really interesting. But um, I'm going to ask you about one, Matt, if you don't mind. Yeah, fire away. Mo Hayed, Dan Skelton, won the county hurdle off 139 in 2018, mm. uh, ran in the same race off a stone higher last year, 153, and finished, I think, seventh. Now down 11 pounds. He's run sort of five times since. He's back off 142. I don't think he's been missed because he's second favourite at 16 to 1. But this has all the makings of a. We, we come to the end of the county hurdle and we're talking about how brilliant Dan Skelton is at putting one away for one of these handicaps. So true. I remember sitting on a Cheltenham preview panel at Huntingdon um, before the 2018 festival and 
Harry Skelton flagged this horse up at, at 50 to 1 at the time, and I remember not acting upon that. And then when he crossed the line at 33 to 1, having won the county hurdle, it was just sort of, I, I, I remember that, yeah. Uh, they, they that that was a horrible you, moment. Yeah, so that's definitely stayed with me. He's, he's, look, he's with the right man. Um, they, they're definitely very, very good at targeting the spring festivals. And Mahayad, you know, with a, with a course record like that, you just see it, don't you? Every year, horses come back, and he won the county. That year, obviously, Mohayed, uh, Skelton sent out Chitabella to win the county so well plotted up 12 months ago, last March. So if there's a market move like this, it looks like it's been the target again. Another one I would uh, mention for whilst we're on the Dan Skelton team is Flash the Steel. I thought he, again, has been massively laid out look he won um, a really good i think is it the silver trophy the nice handicap hurdle at chepstow at the start of the season he beat i think it's working out now 10 individual subsequent winners uh, that were in behind that race likes of imperial aura who's really scaled the heights of offenses but flash the steel looked pretty useful that day i think he ran that day it was officially soft ground but um i don't think it was quite you know chepstow soft it was right at the start of the season and subsequently, they tried him over three miles at Haydock on pretty bad ground in November, and he paid the price. He, he showed nothing at all, but since then, we've not seen him. They've put him away. Uh, some interesting sort of positive reports coming through for him. I've actually backed him for both races, non and no bet. I've backed him for the Martin Pipe and the Coral Cup. I, I think the Martin Pipe sounds like it's the plan for him. Uh, I certainly wouldn't want to miss the boat, though, if he rocked up in the Coral Cup, and because he's... He's 25 to 1 now for the Coral Cup, uh, non runner, no bet. So I think if he does appear there, sneaks in at the foot of the weights, he'll be a fair bit shorter. So I'm, I'm more than happy to shell out a few quid now and come the declarations time, get that back in the account uh, and, and sit tight for the, for the Martin Pipe on the Friday. Visit sportinglife.com and log in for free to become an insider. There you can unlock loads of exclusive features including unlimited video replays, tips and previews, live score update notifications, betting offers and more. Right, this weekend then, chaps, Doncaster, Newbury is where we're going to be looking. We'll start with Doncaster. We haven't got the final decks for the Grimthorpe chase, but we'll have a, a little look at it anyway and then move on to Newbury. BC, you want first dibs? Oh, why not? Um, yeah, so one of the interesting things about the Grimthorpe, and as you said, um, we haven't got the final decks, but as things stand on the Thursday, the top three in the market are all seven-year-olds. There's been one seven-year-old winner of this race in a quarter of a century, and I'm not a massive one for dwelling on that. You know, there have probably been all, all manner of seven-year-olds finishing ahead second, so we shouldn't get too hung up on it, but I did think there was mileage in perhaps siding with a a more experienced horse, you know, it's going to be tough at Doncaster um, if, if, you know, if the meeting goes ahead, which I think it's expected to, but it will be hard work. And I thought probably his mileage in looking a little bit further down the betting. I actually thought last year's winner was interesting, a horse called Childswell. Um, he's five pounds higher, uh, but he, he was an impressive winner. He's back to form after a couple of good runs lately. Third in the Skybet chase behind OK Corral, probably a better race than this one. Um, crucially, he's back up in trip. Uh, and on worse ground and I think that that's a help for him because he's all about stamina and he didn't jump very well in the Skybet chase so I mean you can see that both ways I suppose it, he'll need to jump better but if he does you know if he'd have jumped cleanly in the Skybet chase he might finish second and a lot closer to the winner so I thought he was interesting and despite what I've just said about um, experience a horse with without much experience is uh, Aaron Ladd who's only won once over fences that was his third go and most recent X the last time it was really quite impressive only a three-runner race, so I'm not getting carried away at all. But he's off a marker 133. He won a very good Cheltenham handicap hurdle off that marker a year and a half ago. I think he'll stay, um, and he's got a bit of mileage in him. He's uh, he's trained by Dr. Richard Newland, who you know 
he's not been going particularly well the last couple of months, but it wouldn't be beyond him to, to pop up and win this race at a big price. So chills well for me, but I, I just wanted to take on the first three or four in the betting, albeit acknowledging that they could be changing when we get those final decks. Yeah, um, interesting to say that about the sort of older horses and, and one that you you want one with a bit of bit of form in the book. Um, La Roche stands out for me. He's 10 now, but uh, and he doesn't really get much help from the handicapper at all. It's just through consistency, really, as you see with these sl slightly older handicapped chases. If they do keep running well, keep knocking on the door, they don't come down very quickly at all. But he has finally slipped back to a mark in the 130s, 139, and it's definitely a mark from which he can be competitive. He, he's still shown uh, this season that he's got a bit in him. Um, he's finished second at Wincanton, then third. I thought he ran quite well last time. It was a it was a good race, that Betway Masters handicap chase at Sandown, February the 1st. It was... Um, uh, Des Arba, Philip Hobbs' seven-year-old won it from Cloudy Glen. The two Hemmings horses battled it out. I fancy the winner to, to go close in the Kimura at Cheltenham. So La Rocher has beaten seven or eight lengths back in third. I thought he ran fairly well. And he, like you say, look, he, he keeps galloping and he handles soft ground and he jumps very soundly. So he ticks a few boxes for me. Elsewhere in the race, Dan Skelton, interesting to see what's declared for him. He's uh, he's actually had five winners from 22 runners at a strike rate of 23% at Doncaster so far this season. His team's in great form. I think it's he's learned a lot from the old master Paul Nichols in that he tends to have that quieter period around January, I suspect. I don't know for certain that he gives them the flu boosters and jabs and then they slowly come out of that at the end of January into February and they really are running well now with the with the spring festivals in mind. So he's, he's got three entered at the time of writing. Uh, Klondor Anchor, Captain Chaos, who was a good second. I think he was a value bet selection when chasing home Kimberlite Candy in the classic chase at Warwick. Now, Kimberlite Candy's a think he's third favourite for the Grand National so Captain Chaos got to be of interest here off the off the same mark not been moved at all and then he's also got recent uh, course winner very first time that was over the bare three miles I thought he was dead interesting because it, Skelton's not had him that long he he was previously with um, uh, the Easterbees and he's a horse that's when he's right, he's properly on it because he's he's actually had a couple of times where he's backed up in the past. So back-to-back -back winners uh, twice throughout his career and then he's come and won at Doncaster last month. So wouldn't be surprised to see him go in again. He's actually gone up £7 to 127. But if you go back just a couple of years, he was rated 135. So still a little bit of wriggle room there. So I thought uh, very first time was uh, still handicapped to, to go well here for Skelton's. And if we're talking about Paul Nichols, and he seems to have, in the 888 sport, take him on Mayor's Novice Erdl, have lined up Silana. Is that a, is that too much to say? No, she, you know, she's progressive. She's won the last couple. I think she's 33 to 1 to go and win the uh, Novices hurdle at Cheltenham. Um, you know, that's probably not her bag because it's over a, a shorter trip, but... Um, it's one of those races for mares this way. You've got um, a couple of progressive, obviously progressive and in-form mares in the lineup, but uh, but Nichols is, runner, is probably the one to beat. I, I think Matt will probably tend to agree with me. Uh, a mares novice hurdle at this time of year where you probably throw a blanket over the top four in the betting in terms of ratings, it wouldn't necessarily be a punting medium for me. No, I think with a mark of 135, she's that's not too shabby at all, to be honest. She's probably going to be a class apart in this field. I thought she was particularly impressive at, um, at Wincanton. Uh, she beat Miss Honey Rider. Um, 
Warren Greatrex's horse, and I think Miss Honey Rider has come out and won since at Huntingdon. So that's given that form another boost. It's no surprise to see uh, Silana odds on at the, at the time of writing. So, um, yeah, she's going to be very, very hard to beat, uh, Donny, if that's uh, her, her target for the weekend. It's turning a little bit into a, a Paul Nichols section, but if we, if we move on to Newbury, and I just wanted to really talk about Paul Nichols and his targeting of handicaps and his ability to, to win handicaps. And I'm going to have a go at saying this, right? It's just a lot of words to say back-to-back. William Hill supporting Greatwood Gold Cup handicap chase, but I've done it all well in one, so I've practised that a couple we'll of times. Greatwood. We'll go Greatwood. Yeah. In the Greatwood, Paul Nichols has got a, a heap of contenders. Three of the top four in the betting, and that's, um, you know, I think we can pick holes in all of them, but I think you can pick holes in every runner in this race. But to your point about Nichols, uh, handicaps, yes, absolutely. Um, but but beyond that, you know, valuable pots that are there to be won, I don't think there's anyone better. And I th you probably talked about it last week, and I'm sorry I, I didn't catch last week's episode, which is rare for me. Um, but, which you know, um, switching his horse to the Kingwell from fences, um, you know, just a brilliant piece of placing, and he finished second in the end, but just... It's just what he does. He thinks, he looks at that programme book, and I'm sure he's got a great team of staff helping him do it. Um, and he finds those opportunities to to squeeze the best out of what he's got. You know, if you were to use a football analogy, I guess, like what Chris Wilder's doing at Sheffield United, you know, you've not got the players of other... Big Sam then for a uh, second. <laughs> well, I didn't want to offend the man. He has just given us a great interview, which you can watch on the website. Um, but, you know, he gets the most out of what he's got. Occasionally, he'll have a superstar, and he's as good as anyone at handling those. But in getting the most out of a horse rate about 145 um, or 142, as Mondes Avalois is here... I don't think there's anyone better. Um, and, you know, he's got three runners here. They're all very different in profile, but don't be at all surprised if they fill two of the first three places, if not all three. And the other two runners are, Matt? Yeah, the other two runners are Secret Investor and San Benedetto. He he won it last year. Actually, the first three uh, from the Greatwood uh, last year come back for another crack. San Benedetto is £3 higher. Gala Ball, Philip Hobbs' horse, is £6 higher. And the third horse, Alan King's Valdez, is £3 higher. You could sort of make a case for all of them going well. It is very much a kind of horses for courses place, Newbury, um, the time of year as well. And it is no secret whatsoever that whilst... So many other trainers obsess about this behemoth in the middle of March. Uh, Paul Nichols, is, it's no surprise is it, that he has such a great record in this particular race. It's a valuable pot. It's just a couple of weeks before Cheltenham, but here he is with horses that any other trainer or owner would probably be saying, no, let's run in the Festival Plate or the Ultima or wherever. Here they are running um, at Newbury, but they'll have been mapped out for this for a long, long time. He's just so, so good at sitting down at the start of the season, and he has all those major handicaps mapped out and which horses are going to run and be targeted at which races and uh, here we are it, it, it really wouldn't be a shock um, to see them go well San Benedetto he actually returned from a bit of a, a shorter break of, admittedly but it was a bit of a break when he came and won this race last year so he goes pretty well fresh he's actually not raced since November this time around so I wonder if there has maybe been a little bit of a hold up and like so many in this race I think he probably would prefer better ground but he wasn't disgraced at all when fourth in that Really strong course and distance race won by Old Grangewood, where he just edged out Kalashnikov. He, he shaped pretty well back and forth that day. Uh, it was a it was a good race. So Sam Benedetto, no surprise to see him right at the top of the betting. Um, you know, Secret Investors, top of the weights, and he probably stands out as the class horse. Now he started off in the um, 
he started off in grade two at Down Royal, a race that Paul Nichols again has won so many times with the likes of the Nightingale, Corto Stone, Petit Zig. So big things expected, I think, of Secret Investor right at the start of the season now. He um, he ran okay that day. He was second to Real Steel. He's gone on to win since. Um, but then he bombed out in the Caspian Caviar at Cheltenham. But uh, given a fair bit of time off, he came back with a pretty encouraging second to Native River. Um, it was good ground, though. Again, I'd stress with uh, several of these, they just want slightly better ground really to to be seen to best effect and uh, and really with him if you say he's the class act in the race i think there is another one that we have to mention that's lurking is um bags groove i don't know if the intention is to um oh yeah we're declared here aren't we for the for the great wood so yeah bags groove at 14 to 1 really stands out he's He's had 300 and odd days off the track, but I just don't think that's a massive issue these days with trainers being able to get them so fit and so ready at home. He was due to run earlier on in the season at the, in the Peterborough chase, but he had a setback. So Harry Fry's clearly happy with him. He wouldn't be running him here if he wasn't really happy with him. And he's been given a bit of a squeak by the handicapper, 149. I think if you go back to his novice chase days, just last season, he was really, really good. Won the Pendle. Uh, he, I think did he beat Secret Investor when he won round? He uh, won Secret Investor uh, in, the, in the Future like Star. Yeah, the novice hurdle that day, it was level weight. So he's, the fact that he's getting um, four or five pounds, is it now, in the handicap? You know, he is probably the class act in this race and you're getting a much bigger price. So the icing on the cake really would be the, the fact that John Joe O'Neill's um, been booked to do the steering. You know, John Joe very much in demand at the minute. The man of the moment on Saturdays, having enjoyed big race success on Saturday a couple of weeks ago with Copperhead and then last weekend with Mr Malarkey. So uh, looks a significant pointer to me and he comes back Bags Gruber uh, having had a wind operation as well. So plenty to like about him. Again, another one though I'd throw in that if it came more rain for him, I don't think that would be a positive. Yeah, I think when I was looking at this race, I, I actually, despite what I said about Nichols and despite Matt's very strong case there for Bags Groove, it just looks like the sort of race that might be decided more about horses that can handle it rather than horses that have got two or three pounds in hand. So I was looking at the Ascot handicap in which Benny's King and Domaine Delisle finished uh, first and second. They're fairly closely matched on that. And, you know, Domaine Delisle disappointed a bit last time, but he could bounce back and, and Benny's King remains progressive. They, they sort of look at the limit of their mark, but for the sake of two or three pounds, the fact that they'll go through the mud, I think is significant. And just one more to mention would be Drumcliff. It's his first start back after wind surgeries in those green and gold hoops um, for Harry Fry. He's on his last winning mark. He's uh, not dissimilar, I suppose, to Rigel Encore. He's got a very in and out, all or nothing profile. But if he's on a going day, uh, he's definitely good enough to win off his rating. But it's uh, it's a tricky race. And probably when you guys are chatting about it next weekend, you'll be talking about how Paul Nichols was the right answer. You were saying at the start of the podcast that the, the obvious was smacking you in the face with Frankie Dottori. Well, perhaps that'll be the case with Paul again on Saturday. Now, you've brought up Frankie Dottori. We're going to finish by talking about a, a couple of other jockeys. And, and Leighton Aspel will start with, won the Grand National twice and he's retired last weekend finished with a couple of rides at Haydock I think it was and just a, a word on him either of you to start and really it's many clouds isn't it that he'll be remembered for mostly yeah absolutely a brilliant professional Leighton Aspel I think if you ask anyone uh, trainers and his colleagues in the weighing room just a real gentleman of the weighing room and and very much rode that way as well in that you know he was he was a quiet kind of rider, really. And whenever you saw Leighton Aspel 
booked uh, to ride in a handicap chair, staying handicap chairs. You knew what you were going to get. You were going to get a, a solid sort of creepy ride from sort of towards the back of the field. Let the, let the others uh, play their hands earlier, and Leighton would generally come and pick things up. I think that was kind of what he he went for. Really, really fortunate to have a horse, a real flagship horse like Many Clouds. Not many jockeys get. Um, you know, it's everything that just has to fall into place, doesn't it, for a, for a jockey to get a horse like him and to be so closely associated with him. I was having a little look back, but he actually rode many clowns for all 27 of his career starts throughout bumpers and hurdles and fences. Um, and he was just simply sensational when he won that uh, Grand National in 2015 and really kind of um, set the benchmark as well in many ways for those classy horses winning the national uh, in recent times. Winning off a mark of 160, that is uh, uh, some feat really. And then for him to come back after that and to win the uh, the Cotswold chase on it, what was to be his final ever start, he, he showed real guts that day to beat Thistlecrack. It was uh, it was a it was a dark dark day for jumps racing that day, but it really was quite a special day because a lot of us working in the game remember it so clearly given how well. Um, how well everyone connected to the horse responded to that, and it, it shone a good a good light on racing despite uh, despite everything that happened to uh, many clowns. And Ben, I mean, Matt just mentioned there about how it was such a sad and emotional day when many clouds passed away, having won the Cotswold Chase now three years ago. Outside of, sort of the inner workings of horse racing, I'd say he's one of not that many horses in recent times. You mention his name and people sort of twig that they might not be exactly sure why they remember him. Then you kind of jog their memory and they, they do know why. But that's how iconic a, a horse he was, that he sort of transcended horse racing. Yeah, I mean, I think the Grand National is probably the, the, the biggest point towards that. My wife, who doesn't get mentioned on many of these podcasts, uh, she knows the horse can ply or die because she got him in the sweepstake the year he won the, the National. So <laughs> I think there's an element of that, but there's also a, a, the Trevor Hemmings connection, of course, and the fact that Many Clouds was the sort of horse who wore his heart on his sleeve, and we saw that when he when he won the Cotswold Chase. And um, as Matt alluded to, that partnership with Leighton Aspel, some jockeys are remembered through the, a certain horse that they rode, and that will be the case with him. And I'm sure he's very, he feels very lucky, but also very proud of uh, what they achieved together. Um, so you have many, many fond memories to look back on. Uh, he will be missed in the weigh room, I'm sure, as, as Matt mentioned. The guys who, who work in this day in, day out speak very, very highly of him. And, you know, who knows what lies ahead for him here on Sporting Life. We're lucky enough to have Fran Berry working for us, you know, since he's uh, retired from the saddle and, and maybe Leighton will pursue a similar route. Maybe not. Maybe I could easily see him riding out a lot and uh, helping out a trainer sort of off grid, if you like, because that was very much his way in the saddle. Not a man who uh, sought the limelight, but uh, thanks to many clouds, he found it once or twice. Now, one jockey who's definitely not retiring, having managed to recover from a broken arm in 37 days. And jockeys are just they're superhuman, aren't they? Just, I, I Took me three months know. when I broke mine, Joe. Three months. <laughs> I don't and know I'm how not, they not do it. I've not been the same since, and it was 2009. Um, <laughs> Yeah. How do they do it? So Richard Johnson, at the time of recording, because we're on a Thursday, then he's due to go at Musselburgh today. Now, as well, at the time of recording, he's on 111. Brian Hughes is on 130. Can he still be champion jockey this season? He's 9-2, to two, um, again, before racing on Thursday. Uh, it, it seems unlikely. He's 9-2, to two and his real price should probably be 7 or 8-1. to one. Um 
you know, good on him for for the recovery. It shows the desire he has to keep this streak alive. You know, since AP retired, it's been Richard Johnson uh, and nobody else. And you know, he'll take great pride in that. And he's he's one of those jockeys who's one of the hardest workers around. But he's also had a, a fairly lucky run with injuries, generally speaking, and touch wood. And then obviously this came at just the the wrong time because he had a serious rival for for the jockey's title this year. Um, I'm at the same time glad to see uh, any any jockey recover quickly and make a full recovery from an injury, but also I would like to see Brian Hughes win it. You know, we are here in the north, and he's been a, a key part of jumps racing in the north for many years now. And um, over the last couple, he's really seemed to improve. I mean, Matt will know more about it than me. Opportunities are one thing, but to get them to come along, um, you have to show what you can do. And I think he's really started to blossom as a rider, and it would be a great achievement for him yes with some luck but a great achievement for him to go and win the jockey's title so I'll be rooting for him but glad to see Richard back in the saddle yeah brilliant to see him back so quick I don't know if Mackay will be thinking oh what took him so long but um, <laughs> he's probably been in the what's his record he's probably been in the cryogenics chambers and days. various things <laughs> yeah um, he's not messing about either a couple of rides today I think it was three on Friday as things stand, I think it was just gala ball at Newbury on Saturday, but no doubt things will develop because everyone will get behind him. I, I think this, I think this could be <laughs> could get quite interesting. I know there'll be a lot of love for Brian Hughes, and uh, he he's very understated and a lot to like about him. But uh, people will want Johnson to maintain that t championship, I think, and and just be able be able to sort of keep going with that um, title that he took over from McCoy and. I wouldn't be surprised at all if this went quite close. I know in previous recent seasons, uh, um, I think from, from about now to the end of the season, Brian Hughes has actually outscored Richard Johnson. So it, technically it probably should be all over by the shouting. But yeah, I think it's one to keep watching, Joe. I don't, I don't think we're over quite just yet. And certainly when uh, Richard Johnson was speaking on Look on Sunday the other week, that um, there was a little glint in his eye that he was quite determined to give this a go. So yeah, one to watch. Well, that's just about all we've got time for. Thanks for listening to this week's Sporting Life Racing Podcast. Remember, you can send your questions into editorial at sportinglife.com or you can find us at our various accounts on social media. If you haven't already, please remember you may have to resubscribe to Sporting Life Podcast through your podcast provider. Please feel free to leave a review on there as well. We'll be back same time next week. Thanks for listening to this Sporting Life Podcast. For more, visit sportinglife.com and you can find us on social media at Sporting Life on Twitter and at facebook.com forward slash Sporting Life Official.